Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Welcome back to the front Three with me, Adam Bolt, with the one and only Lawrence McKenna. Good evening, and Chris Henich as well. Good evening. Well, this is this is going to be a weird one. I mean, we wanted to talk about football, and I think we will. But to be honest, we're, we're not sure how, really, given everything that's that's going on in the world. I mean, it's hard to know where to begin, Lawrence. It it almost doesn't feel appropriate to be talking about sport right now, does it? It feels a little bit. Um, it, things are so. So changing so much and I was doing a podcast earlier about a completely different subject um, a basketball podcast and I realized very suddenly um, that whilst I thought in the beginning of the week like oh yeah you've totally got this racism thing on lock Lawrence like you know you've 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 worked <laughs> out you know uh, and I wasn't arrogant enough to think I knew everything but you know I think I, I maybe that thought reflects the way a lot of people felt about it where they sort of thought oh yeah there are racial issues which i know about and i'm aware of but you felt almost very um not passive towards them but very sort of as if you were unable to change them and now there is very much like a wind of change that i think a lot of people weren't almost aware could happen um mm. and a lot more people are becoming a lot more aware of i guess the implications of what is going on right now which is really interesting to watch but also it means that hosting a black square doesn't really mean as much as we th- thought it meant at 9am this morning. It's it's difficult. It's all very fast moving. As you say, Lawrence, it's, um, it's obviously dominating world news. It's dominating our social media. You can't escape from it at the moment. And that's uh, a positive thing, you know, to have these issues, to have everyone confronting them, acknowledging them and engage with them in, a, in, in quite a fundamental way that perhaps hasn't happened in the past. You know, we're being forced to acknowledge our privilege there's this this push to be anti-racist instead of non-racist, which feels different. There's this desire to to donate, to educate, to listen, to actively engage with the issues, as I say, and make a tangible difference. I mean, Chris, you're based in the US. Since George Floyd was murdered by police last week, there's been protests not only in Minneapolis, but the capital, Washington, DC, and of course, where you are, New York. I mean, what's the, what's the atmosphere like there at the moment? I have to be honest and say that for me a lot of my experience comes through the lens of the television so there's an element to it that doesn't feel that real and feel that impactful at least the stuff that's happening on my doorstep um i struggle to watch the entirety of the george floyd clip because uh, when you know what is coming with that you want to kind of almost avoid it for self-preservation means but i did kind of force myself to sit through it because of how important it is i think just for our society to not only acknowledge these things happen but see what happened and see what it represented um the situation in new york is is a difficult one because this city is such a, a cosmopolitan one to begin with and i have to be really honest and say that as someone who first and foremost is, is white a group in a mostly middle class house growing up and got here all of nine months ago I don't feel that comfortable really espousing any kind of opinion 
on the situation, or at least I didn't in the first few days because I didn't want to come off as insincere or insensitive or naive. Um, so much as to say that I don't think anyone disagrees that racism has no place in this country. There's an issue um, with police brutality in this country as well that needs to be rectified. And it's, as some others have, have said more eloquently, the, the speech by Killer Mike is the one that springs to mind for me. Um, this is something that has to be fixed. It can't, it can't go on a second longer. Some interesting points of what Chris says there, isn't there, Lawrence? I mean, we're obviously three middle-class English white guys, white guys. talking about a, an issue beyond our, our comprehension, ultimately. Um, but I think the, the, the positive thing, the encouraging thing is that people, as I say, are engaging with the issue in, in quite a fundamental way. People are perhaps acknowledging how uncomfortable it is, how difficult it is to grapple with these issues. There's, there's a sincere desire from most people to to understand the issue and try and do something meaningful yeah and i guess um you know we've seen a lot of people uh, make some very heartfelt speeches in this last few days like killer mike uh, quite a few basketball players coming forward um you know I, i've not really seen that much come out from mls i've seen a couple of things in NFL, which is, you know, notoriously a very conflicted league with this sort of thing, especially considering what happened with Colin Kaepernick um, and quite a few, and also just in general, the treatment of kind of black um, and just minority men within NFL. Um, and I think it is, I guess for me, I, yeah, I, before the podcast, I was kind of trying to think of things to, to almost say, like, you know, uh, something, something smart, something sort of, uh, you know, insightful, because that's why I will want to listen to a podcast. And uh, I, it sort of left, made me realize, actually, or the realization that I came to it, I thought was good to express, was actually, like you just said, are we actually assessing what's going on here? Or are we really just expressing a lot of positive sentiment? Because my my concern, I guess, and what I don't want to happen is that we do a podcast this week, and then next week, it's like, right, back to the launch of the Premier League, Project Restart is on, uh, you know, yeah. we did the racism thing. I think there's a few things that might have changed, but, you know, let's wait for the next set of riots. In the same way as it's like COVID's almost completely gone out the window with uh, everything that's happening here. It's, it's very much taken a back seat. Um, and also uh, what I was, and uh, if I can tell a personal story on the podcast, today I was struck by the fact that I posted, you know, the, the, uh, the blacked out square on a couple of social media platforms and some people's reply and, you know, a lot of people were very supportive of it, not supportive of me, obviously, but sort of cause. And some of the replies were actually the opposite of that, which were like, wait, why aren't you talking about white people in this? White people have been murdered. You know, why aren't you talking about, uh, I don't want to infer any particular names because actually I think it's very disrespectful to use some of the people's names who've lost their lives. Legitimately, people have been murdered are now being used as political pawns in a sense, I think, from, from uh, um, a, you know, a, a quite selfish point of view from some of the people who don't want to engage maybe with what's really going on. And what I realized is there is a bit, I don't want to keep our views just within this echo chamber because it's all well and good. The likelihood is everyone listening to the podcast is going, yeah, fuck the racists. That's probably not the people we actually need to speak to in this. Or whilst <laughs> it is, it's not the people we need to convert or it's not the wider people that we need to, um, you know, convince here. And I think that's part of it is, we are still seeing policemen who are brutally beating people, even in these protests. We are still seeing police and institutional silencing of minorities, of people who want to have a voice that they don't particularly want to hear at that time. And that's the real problem here is I wonder how much of it we are stoking up the resentment against this cause. And I'm not saying therefore we stop. I'm just saying how healthy can we make this conversation? Can we be reflective and sort of go, yeah, it's all well and good me posting the square, but actually, you know, what the NBA did when they got rid of Donald Sterling, a notoriously racist uh, owner of the LA Clippers was much more meaningful and much more symbolic to society than a lot of people coming together and obviously posting, uh, which is important, but needs to be in the wave of real action. Mm. And the protests need to have an actual um, 
implication. There needs to be something that actually happens on the other side of it. Because I think, you know, I took some time today to make a video or to begin to make a video. And I was watching a lot of videos of people like Malcolm X and uh, Martin Luther King and, uh, you know, even people like Muhammad Ali, who I think were in, even considered in their time sometimes a little controversial. And I was just struck by the fact that these guys were saying, yeah, protesting uh, peacefully whilst is good and satisfying can sometimes not lead to the meaningful change that we're looking for. And that's what I was struck by is needing that level of meaningful change and meaningful implications um, and not just making three podcasts and going, well, I did my bit. Let's move on. <laughs> oh, and by the way, I gave the $50 so those guys could get yeah. bailed out probably at that point. That's like, this is something which, you know, the Premier League, when it comes back, needs to be addressing beyond just people taking a knee during, you know, practice. It, you know, this needs to be something that we're looking at across the board. Uh, and every, you know, there almost needs to be cross chat between the NBA and the Premier League and the NFL and all these big institutions. I, I, I agree completely. I think it is ultimately the first week or so of what feels like a very profound movement. And as we were sort of saying last week, you know, the 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 lines of what's acceptable in society, the boundaries are constantly being redrawn. And we're seeing that now in terms of the activism, the protests, those actions put pressure on governments, institutions, brands, everyone to actually make sure there is something tangible and something practical that comes out of this. And I think there is a desire for people on an individual level as well to have more of a deep-rooted investment that goes beyond you know, uh, social media posts. It needs to be something that they can bring into their everyday life and and look to take action. I think the interesting thing is going to be, as you say, how it translates into law changes, how it translates into institutions, how they change their policies. I thought it was interesting today, you know, obviously a lot of brands are posting in support of Black Lives Matter, which is commendable. And Imagine obviously... if someone had taken the opposite point of view. What are we doing with that brand then? Yeah. What do we do at that point, you know? But I thought what was interesting was people weren't just saying, oh, you know, that's great. They were saying, okay, where's the deeper change you know uh, look at your let's see your your board members let's see the hierarchy of your company let's see where the mm. commitment is for real diversity and real initiatives to tackle racism and tackle these issues in a way that goes beyond platitudes that is actually yeah that's quite interesting that you say that because i was i was watching you know obviously plenty of people would be sports fans on this and i saw the tweets from the ringer union you know the guys that do the ringer with mm you know, led by Bill Simmons and the, the guys who used to do Grantland. And it was, it was about um, how unrepresentative their staff were and how, how few full-time black staff members or even just, you know, minority um, people they had on their staff. And it's funny because my instant reaction was not to go, God, that's terrible. It was to go, I really like, <laughs> it was almost like disappointment and I didn't quite know how to react to it. I, you know, I didn't know whether to tweet about it or, uh, you know, whether to tweet at the ringer or whether to tweet at someone like Bill Simmons or, and I found myself almost like defending the ringer. I was a bit like, no, but I really like the content. Like, what am I supposed to do? I kind of like it. And I, I guess it was a bit of a reflection on a, on a, from white guy. It was like, I mean, I did think of the representation on it, but I also thought, but I also like the people making the podcast. And that's part of, part of what everyone's going through. I think at the moment where it's like, God is my, is, you know, like someone tweeted today about how Ed Laser had donated 300,000, 350 grand to Donald Trump's campaign, all these kind of things. Right. But at the same time, uh, Manchester United were tweeting, you know, we hate racism. And it's like, yeah, I, you know, that's not all Manchester United fans, but you know, I'm sure as a Manchester United fan, you think, oh, well, don't have a go at my club. Like that, I get, I get that cognitive dissonance that there almost is in the population at the moment of like, well, of course, you know, I'm not racist. But then when you go, well, yeah, but did, do you employ any black people? You know, have you ever done a, an impression of a black person to your mates or said a bad word or all this kind of thing? Hmm. And these are things that I think are thought processes that we should be more honest about with each other, you know, because there, there is a bit of a cancel culture. Yeah, but I think that's the positive thing is acknowledging and taking stock and reflecting on that in a meaningful way. I was walking around today on the way to the shops and I was thinking I've been in positions of 
not power in companies, but you know, mid-level sort of management of a team. And when we were hiring people, did I do anything to encourage diversity? No. So therefore, Bolt, Bolt would actively used to remove <laughs> the women's applications and just say no women in I this country. But of course, it makes you think. It makes me think. You know, I can be doing a lot more of my privilege. The next time I'm in that position, I'd be actively looking to encourage diversity in those situations that's my responsibility and buck your biases and almost because there is a bit of a that i guess that's that also to, i was just going to say it's something in terms of hiring i've i've always considered with regards to gender and and female voices but right. never in terms of minorities and again that's something to confront to acknowledge and look to change moving forward and that's part of the the positive process everyone is going through but i think as you say it's just being honest and being open to those discussions with each other and and with ourselves is a positive impact of of this situation it also made me realize how unrepresentative a lot of you know uh, social media platforms actually are and how mm. um, um helpful sometimes it can be because you know especially when it comes to things like youtube i was looking i was watching a lot of youtubers either not ignoring it, but almost acting as if it was just another normal day in the world for them. And for me, it felt a little bit strange that it was like, hey, got a good video out about my top 10 favorite dogs. And you're like, I don't care about your dogs. Like, <laughs> you know, it, it made me realize there are quite a few bubbles in the world, but also is that, I mean, that, that was very weird. It's a weird feeling when, when you feel it, I almost felt like I, it was all I could think about. And then I was just like, why are you thinking of your fucking dogs while this is going on? Do you know what I mean? Because <laughs> social media lets you curate like that. That's that's inherently that's the thing with it. Is it lets you decide what the voices are that you hear, and that's why well, I, not, I less think... so on Twitter sometimes though, because it brings in mm -hmm. um, uh, you know, there's a bit of like this story or you read this and therefore or this person liked this or this person retweeted a little bit more mixed. Yeah, it's it's I, I think it's. I think of YouTube as a decent example of where you can just you can just go to your subscriptions tab every time and and exist with the people that you feel I guess you would say comfortable with and that's that's why I sometimes think with Adam's situation it becomes such a vicious cycle because say if you were tomorrow to try and add a greater sense of diversity on your team there might not be the candidates there and part of that reason is because those potential candidates didn't see a viability in that career for themselves. Absolutely, yeah. And so in a lot of ways, oh, of the, the decisions that we, we may make in the next 6, 12, 18 months, they may feel very small. It may only benefit one person or two people or a few. But you almost have to look at it as if that is the, the seed that grows the tree to where in, a, in an ideal world, hopefully in our generation perhaps not these conversations sound like something from the middle ages where you can move to a, a much better place with it um and to, and to that end i think with football when it comes to hiring in certain positions and fields and such like it's absolutely a case of who you know what not not what you know and and that's I think if I can sit here as someone with a lot of privilege and say that I feel there's been instances where I suffered because I didn't know the right people, you can absolutely believe there are people who do not have my privilege that have had it 10, 20, 100 times worse. And that's really depressing for a game that for the most part, whether it's marketing campaigns or whatever, sort of sells itself on this is for everybody. That That's yeah, pretty... Same. I think at odds with that. And that's something that we've not really, at least I've seen addressed. We we've put things on t-shirts. We've worn rubber bands around our wrists years ago for, for those of us who are a little bit older with, with the night black and white bands. But I don't know if we've actually sat there and said, you know what, that that's great and everything, but is that giving someone a job where they can build a career with this? Is that really is that, changing the course of things? That. I mean, again, early days of this, what feels like almost like a new movement, but it feels like that is the fundamental difference for me between what's happening now, what happened in the past, is that there is this desire to see real structural change 
on a fundamental level. And I think it will extend not just to politics and law, but also sport as well. Because I think, you know, what you're talking about there, Chris, is there's so many instances where football and sport hasn't taken the appropriate action against clear-cut case of racism, but hopefully the awareness, the people, the players that everyone's bringing to these issues means that sports and football organisations have to change and have to take action. This weekend, we saw Jaden Sancho, of course, most prominently displaying mm -hmm. a justice for George Floyd message when he scored for Borussia Dortmund. We also saw Weston McKenney, who plays for Schalke, a US men's national team player. He wore a black armband during Saturday's Bundesliga match against Werder Bremen with the message justice for George. So the interesting thing about that was he was, of course, asked by the referee to remove the armband <laughs> during the game because it's a political statement, which is technically prohibited. He refused. Uh, and the quote he said after the game was, I'm not taking it off. There's a rule in the league that you can't make political statements. But I mean, if you really, really look at this as a political statement, then I don't know what to tell you. The league and everyone in football always preaches say no to racism. So I didn't think there would be a problem if I have to take the consequences to express my opinion, to express my feelings, to stand up for what I believe in. Then there's some that's something that I have to do. So it is going to be interesting to see, for example, Chris, if the German Football Federation take action against these sorts of gestures because it's you'd hope not and i think the, the 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 president of the german football federation suggested that there would be no punishment but we've seen in hungary i believe uh, i saw on bbc news today tomok and juan unveiled a t-shirt with the words justice for george floyd he was reprimanded by hungary's football association and told if he did the same again he would face an actual penalty when you say an actual penalty, you mean like financial penalty. You have to <laughs> I say yeah. no, no, the other team doesn't get a penalty, for example, <laughs> yeah. in the match. Um, but you already see kind of the the activism and the awareness that players are trying to bring to the issue already sort of buffeting up against the, the institutional resistance, potentially. Yeah, and I think that kind of goes back to something I said about the Saudi Arabia podcast, which is for a lot of us, when it comes to Hungary, let's say, we see a snapshot of that country via a news story. And and that snapshot, for me at least, is that it's a, a right-leaning country. So it does not shock that small image that I have painted of that country that he would face those kind of consequences. Whereas Germany, to me, is the other way. So it's no surprise that Weston McKinney has been congratulated for that and Marcus Turam won't face any kind of repercussions and normal Jaden Sancho. I think when you talk about the idea of a movement, when I look at it from the US perspective, I feel like that is is intertwined with the fact that we're in, a, in an election year. And yeah. essentially this country, we can get into the electoral college and popular votes and all that kind of thing. But realistically, this country is going to be asked, which direction do you want to go? And they stood on top of a hill at this point because it doesn't matter which side you pick, it's it's going to be a steep descent into either a very left-leaning country that's, I would say, more inclusive, uh, more about the individual, about people, about taking care of people. Or I don't even know if I feel that comfortable saying right with Donald Trump. To me, it, it is, for all intents and purposes, very far-right fascism. That, that's the, the only word that I can summon to really... Uh, encapsulate what he represents and I think for that reason there's a sense of people seeing this potential iceberg and him being re-elected and looking at and saying we have to change this now otherwise it's only going to get worse it's only going to get so much more worse um, and the the potential for that is actually quite scary when you consider what it has been like previously under even I would say democratic uh, presidents it wasn't great then. And, and that's something that if I can give Joe Biden credit for anything at the minute, um, it's that he acknowledged that this was not a problem that sprouted up yesterday. It really isn't. It's a long-standing issue. It really is. And so for that reason alone, I think people feel like they're at the edge of a precipice here. Mm, uh, he acknowledged today as well. If he does indeed become president, the, the, the problem won't be solved either. 
Um, I mean, it's, it's not just a US problem, though, is it, Lawrence? I mean, it's the UK no. as well. We're talking about a Tory government that we're, what, six months into? Seven, eight months? Who, you know, in my opinion, kind of have rode to power on a wave of populism powered by anti-immigrant sentiments. But I mean... Uh, powered at least by, by, dog, by dog whistle anti-immigrant sentiments. Yeah. And I think, you know, the, the problem is a lot of these people are now... Um, you know, this is this is the problem. Is I think you know, obviously, uh, there's a few platforms that that I've come on, and you know, sometimes I get a lot of hate for sort of going against Donald Trump or something like that. It doesn't stop me necessarily doing that. But what I always find kind of ironic is that people can't separate the figures from the actual politics. So, for instance, you know, I uh, I, I don't even necessarily believe that the Republican Party is necessarily inherently a racist party. I think it's definitely more right than I would lean. But, um, you know, I think there are uh, there are some Republicans who have done some uh, marginally progressive things in some states in America or done things that, you know, may, were maybe more libertarian leaning, those kind of things. I'm not necessarily saying I lean that way. But what I mean by that is, especially with the UK government, the worry right now is that it, it doesn't seem to be about um, the arc of history or the arc of um, whatever you want to call it, it seems to be more about how can I arc my career? You know, um, how can I make, you know, Pretty Patel, how can I make a career for myself in getting, you know, essentially getting rid of people who are very valuable to this country? Or, you know, Dominic Raab, how can I dismantle uh, a health service which is, uh, you know, very, very, very important to, to the heart of Britain, these kind of things. I think a lot of people... Um, are being misled uh, but by a, f- a few governments right now. And the worry for me is that the UK government is currently taking the playbook of the American government and we are going down that same route. Um, and those same, uh, at their very core, the same issues that there are in America of difference because, you know, whilst it is about um, race, it is also about just difference, seem to be the worry for me. And... Um, we're not really dealing with those issues. We're not really it, dealing with the core of those issues. We are still allowing people who say watermelon smiles to be the prime minister of this country. We're still allowing people who back Donald Trump and don't seem to be able to differentiate between um, you know, their own benefits and country benefits. Uh, th- those things worry me. I, th- I think as well, as someone that, sort of has a foot in both camps at the minute, but doesn't feel like I'm secure in either in terms of the US or the UK. You're always welcome here, Chris. Yeah, just like just like a little bit politically homeless. Like Yeah. For, from what I've seen of late, just again through Facebook, which is, is really not the greatest barometer of stuff, there's a concerning <laughs> no. deference to those in power. There, there's an almost Oh, you shouldn't be complaining all the time. All you want to do is complain. It's, that to me is a little bit unsettling because I think you see it manifest in football as well when you tell players not to get involved in politics. And it's that to me is, is something I never truly understand because I think it's people who are uncomfortable about having those conversations. Yeah, they're, they're inherently linked. You can't really um, yeah, un, un, unintertwine them. It's it's a really stu- I always think that's such a stupid thing to say. It's like you can't tell me that any action in society is uh, not linked to politics. But tell me, sport isn't linked to politics, which is such an analogous, such a le- life lesson kind of structure, is not linked to your political views or not linked to the way you see the world. It's crazy. I, th- I think. I think. I get what you mean when you say stupid. I think for me, if if you want to interpret the game that way or you want to take in the game that way, that's fine. But at the same time, I don't understand why everyone else has to. That That's the thing is that whether it's Liverpool with socialism or I remember Scott Sandelow who worked at Bayern telling me some amazing stories about how Bayern handled the situation with the war in Germany. Right. There's always some kind of political moment or affiliation or whatever. Even even right now, and I wrote a piece about Newcastle that I told you guys last week, I referenced the food banks. Now, that to me is a political issue. 
because of the consequences of the way that the government have structured aid and people's welfare and th- those kind of things. So you donating to that is a political act in a way, to me at least. And that's why you ca- you really can't separate those two anymore. And so you have to be able to give those players the freedom to express themselves on that platform however they want. And it it's, it's something I think we may only see a rise in now because those players will not want to sit idly by anymore I think I think you're going to see and and even with clubs I think we're going to start seeing a greater examination of what they stand for like I I don't feel that comfortable singling clubs out and yet I feel a sort of obligation to point at Leeds United who put something out today I don't think they're a racist club I don't think their fans are racist I don't know if they've apologized to Jonathan Lecco yet for what happened with Kiko Casilla I don't think Casilla right. has formally apologised. I know Jonathan Lecco said the process took a long time to the point where he became quite disheartened with the whole thing. So, Can you explain that, that situation as best you can, just for those who aren't familiar? Yeah, so Jonathan Lecco, uh, if memory serves, he plays for West Brom, but he's on loan at Charlton this season. And a game against Leeds, I think it was at the Valley, he alleged that he was uh, racially abused by Kiko Casilla and the matter went to the FA and the FA took a lot of evidence in. I think there were teammates on, on both sides who contributed and they came to the conclusion that Casilla had said some some offensive words to him along that line. Um, As in racially offensive? Yeah. Offensive. And, and that, I mean, look, that's where you lean, I think, a little bit on the Everton Suarez situation where you have this very complicated discussion about, well, what does this mean in this language and, and what, are, what are its connotations, et cetera, et cetera, with a Spanish speaker. Um, but I know from having done a story a couple couple weeks ago that, that Leco was very disappointed with how, A, that situation was handled, B, how much time elapsed between the actual um, event or incident occurring and then some kind of punishment. Casilla was banned for... I think it was six games, he's going to fine as well. Um, and it was just, yeah, it was one of those situations where even after the the punishment had been handed down, it didn't really get a great deal of, of conversation. And even now it's kind of sitting there and, and I appreciate that Leeds may say, we believe our player was innocent, we feel we have to, to, to support him in that and it would be unfair, remiss of us not to. But it's one of those situations where I just think, you know what, if, if you've been found guilty like that, it's surely some kind of conversation has to happen. And it, it's it's one where I think we need consistency from the clubs and the institutions that are part of this game. Otherwise, what are we really doing? Because a tweet then starts to feel hollow. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quinn's. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Yeah, that those moments are the acid tests, aren't they, for whether things have actually changed on an institutional level, whether it's gone beyond performative tweets and, and social media posts, as you say. I mean, I'd like to think today the Liverpool Suarez situation wouldn't happen, the the reaction wouldn't be the same, the Chelsea John Terry situation wouldn't be the same either. We're what, six, seven, eight years away from those incidents. But um, as the Leeds situation demonstrates, 
not enough has changed and there's still so much more work that needs to be done. I also think it shows that there are um, the, the problem is we can't make broad rules for everyone. We can have broad sentiment and broad thoughts and we can see what people intend from things. Mm. But I think um, every situation has to be taken on its merits or whatever, however you want to call it. You know, you have to take the nuance of every situation. And I think that is part of the issue in this is that the, the devil is in the detail with racism. It's not really, you know, that that's part of the problem I, I face on social media today when I was trying to talk to some people who were um, going, well, white people die too. It's like, yeah, that's not where we're arguing here. We're actually <laughs> arguing at a very, um, a level of experience that is lived on a daily basis for these people mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. uh, a level of threat. And, and it, it's kind of multi-layered as well. I think that's something that's a real issue. It's not like just a, right, well, let's say, solve it on an institutional level. It's like, let's solve this on a personal, institutional, day-to-day. -day. It's everywhere. And it's not just... Um, you know, it's, it's also the implications of stuff that's happened in the past and trying to right some of those wrongs that have been done as well. And that's part of it, I think, is that it's it's very difficult to work out where that stops and how where the process stops, if it ever really stops. And also work out that they're like Joe Biden. You know, it's crazy to feel that. But to go back to what you said about Joe Biden, says he doesn't feel he can solve it in one presidency. Is like, well, each president has to take the handoff from the previous. Um, and, uh, I feel there's been a bit of a break in the chain, maybe, uh, it's going to be some intro for Joe Biden or the, the next president who succeeds Donald Trump. It's, uh, he's yeah, got his work it, it, He's got his work. I mean, but there could also be a very big chain. You know, we don't, that's part of the problem is that I, there is such unsure, we're in such unsure times. I guess the, the other side with, um, with what's happening in football is I think, inherently with humans you are always going to have a level of um disagreement and there's that, you know there's going to be a level of um uh, you know dissent from certain people mm -hmm, and it's like mm -hmm. that is something that is an ongoing process there's never i don't think there's ever going to be a point where people won't feel different even in the way that we're dealing with this people are saying well, look, there. You know, I don't see racism in that way. You know, why can't you just pull yourself up by the bootstraps? Whatever. It's like people's inherent approach and the approach that they employ in their own life is probably going to have a massive impact on this as well. And that that's why we can't have one blanket rule that fits everyone. But I find um, it I find it very encouraging how widespread. Again, maybe it's just my bubble, but I think even if you expand beyond that the the sentiment feels very widespread and the message feels very widespread and that's why i think it's so important yeah. for football players and football clubs to use their platform to reach millions if not billions every single week on social media and soon again through games in order to to show there's a unity in terms of the message the sport is putting forward and football's putting forward in terms yeah. of where they want to see the game, where they want to see society, and where they want to see action taken. We saw Liverpool release a photograph uh, Anfield, the team kneeling Neely. around the centre yeah. circle. Chelsea followed suit today with a similar image in training. The chairman of Kick It Out has now urged every player to take the knee at the start of games when the season was, has resumed. And it's urging... incredible when you think about it. A league, when we think two, two three years back... Uh, was uh, absolutely castigating one man uh, in NFL for taking a knee. And now the Premier League is encouraging every player to take a knee. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I think the Colin Kaepernick situation is fascinating because his his movement has been vindicated and the message that he had is, is more vital than ever, uh, four years on. Right. I, I know the situation is different in England as well, but, you know... On the back of that movement, if we now have yeah. in the Premier League, every team taking a knee before the restart of the season in a couple of weeks without any sanctions or, or, or punishments imposed for political messaging, that will be encouraging. That will show some progress. It is. It is. Not, not only... You hope. It is. And yeah, it's it's not... different messages as well. That's, that's, that's what I think you have Correct. to remember is... 
in the in the Premier League, a player taking a knee is seen as a stance against racism. For Colin Kaepernick, taking the knee is, I think, his way of saying America is not affording me what it promised itself to mm. be. So there's a greater significance in that. And to that end, that's why I think it's taken significantly more courage for him to stand and do that and be the first one absolutely, to do it. And, and yeah. the same with the the allies, Megan Rapinoe springs to mind, people that, that were willing to back. Because that's the thing, having been to sporting events in the US and the UK, it's just so different culturally in terms of how the nation is woven into the event <laughs> yeah like i like we don't we don't go to a premier league game and hear the national anthem before it kicks off that happens i mean i'd love to hear the american national anthem before the, uh, <laughs> that that happens at every mls game no matter what and there's a tremendous pride in this country in the anthem in all of those things and the anthem alone promises a lot in terms of what this country was in theory built on, you know, like all that kind of stuff. And there's a lot of that rhetoric promises a lot. I mean, just in the shadow of where I am, this, the plaque that sits below the Statue of Liberty. Talk about, you know, give me your, your helpless, your all this kind of stuff. There's a very new frontier about this country. And I'm just started a book at the weekend about the, the sort of early foundations of, of New York, New Amsterdam, and, and what influenced that and how we came to be this cosmopolitan city that it is now. And Kaepernick rightly felt that wasn't what was happening. And that's why mm. I say that people like the NFL, they're going to face greater scrutiny now in terms of they op- they opted to remove Colin Kaepernick from their league by not picking him up and picking up lesser players, statistically lesser players, mm-hmm. because either they didn't want the trouble or whatever reason they felt that's irrelevant to me. The point is you've kept him back because of that issue, not because he was a bad player. So people are rightly going to say, well, when you release this statement, it feels hollow because you had a chance to influence the movement. You had a chance to really do something and you didn't. And so I, I, I understand why people get that and and feel the need to really hold up these institutions to kind of what they're claiming they stand for now. I think there's also, I've been thinking about this, it strikes me so often when I see uh, Mo Salah or Sadio Mane score a goal is uh, just, and it's a terrible story as well, but the statistic of uh, sort of anti-Islamic violence or anti-Islamic crime going down in the Merseyside area after these guys were moving in very openly Muslim in, at Liverpool. And I guess that's, uh, you know, that's quite heartening to me because you start to think, okay, well, uh, you know, we say these, these two things aren't linked. They're very inherently linked. What someone, when someone, and you feel so positively towards someone because you look up and respect what they do so much, then that is fantastic. That's like really, really positive. Um, that, that's the other thing as well. I think that racism is an issue is prevalent in in all of these societies how that manifests is different and so the uk for example jonathan lecco to me is is a good example of Leeds putting out a statement and yet i read a story a couple months ago talking about the fact that he felt he had been let down by some of the organizations that professed to help players in this scenario like kick it out like the pfa the fact that it took from, I think it was September, good couple months after that to get this sort of the situation with Kiko Casilla racially abusing him. And and even then, after that, the fact that no sooner had the, the panel come to its conclusion, Casilla comes out and says, I, I stand by the fact I didn't say anything. And and that's a problem as well, because then what, what justice are you giving to someone like Leco who has done, I would say, a brave thing and come forward and said, I was racially abused. Not only has he had a drawn out process where he said he was stressed, not only has he not got the justice he wanted, it's now descended into this amorphous, he said, he said type scenario where no one really gets anything out of it, I think. 
it's also complicated. I'm just fascinated as you were sort of saying, Lawrence, and as you're sort of mentioning as well, Chris. It's it's going to be how, particularly on a on a on a bigger level, the Premier League shows that they're committed to tackling racism in in a very real way. Because I think there's kind of this contradiction almost that it feels like things are getting better, but at the same time, they're getting worse. I think kick it out, say that reports of, of racial discrimination have risen 40 odd percent in the last five years. So it's even though I think there's been progress from, you know, everyone mentions what an endemic racist situation we had in the 70s and 80s in football, things have moved on beyond that. I think there needs to be an acknowledgement that it still exists. There can't be a complacency that, oh, I don't, you know, racism is a thing of the past. You know, we, we all need to move on. It does feel like in the past couple of years, and again, with movements like this, it, it, it highlights that in a, in, a, in a really encouraging way. There needs to be real action to tackle these issues rather than platitudes, rather than performative social media posts, etc. It's just going to be very interesting to see how the Premier League goes beyond the, the gesture of kneeling potentially uh, and sanctioning that uh, when the season relaunches, how they're going to parlay that into something real. That's, that's yeah, where and, Western and, and, McKenney's words kind of come back into focus because do you think racism is a political issue? That's, that's, also, that's the, I think, a very astute point that he's made that it's, it's not a political issue. It's a, it's a, Separate. basic human issue yeah it's it's mm. so much simpler than that there's nothing political about it Every, everyone deserves the same rights and opportunities no ifs ands or buts to that mm. I, I guess uh the it, it it can be both it doesn't have to be one issue i think that's part of it is what part of what damages uh, a lot of what we're talking about here is the need to box it up into a very neat thing and part of what damages um you know, kick it out is that it become, they, you know, they're almost like, we need a tagline for this. You know, can we PR this racism thing somehow? You know, how can we, uh, how can we make this easier to consume? This is actually like a really complex subject. And oh, the worry is that we, we spend so much time, you know, working out how to PR it instead of, um, you know, maybe challenging the people at the top and also challenging the people in the middle and also challenging people, just challenging in general we're not very good at challenging as a society. And I actually think that was part of the problem with the Cullen Kaepernick thing. Part of the problem with the Donald Sterling thing is that these things are interlinked with other stuff like toxic uh, behavior. I don't even call it, want to call it toxic masculinity. It's toxic, powerful behavior, which I think a lot of people exhibit when they get to that point. Donald Sterling, incredibly racist, incredibly old, uh, old and incredibly um, inculcated in his views. The NFL, through what they uh, did, showed that they didn't want to upset some of the people that the league was predominantly marketed to and that, that could make, help them make more money. I think maybe we're seeing now through uh, practicality of it is it's like these things are interlinked with other issues that we have. And it can't just, uh, part of it is that we are just boxing it off and are just going, it is political, it isn't political. It's all these things. It's everything. Like it is just everywhere. Um and we, you can't really escape that. And that's a good thing is that you can't escape it because we should be linking everything to it. You know, it, we should be referencing it a lot more to make people a lot more conscious of it. But the, the, there will be people that get sick of it. There will be people that get bored of talking about racism. Uh, and maybe we should be all right with those people who go, I'm a bit bored of this now. It's like, cool, well, fuck off then. Like if you're bored of, <laughs> so that's the, it, it's like, yeah. if you're bored of talking about it, imagine how boring it is to live it on a daily basis. Imagine how mind numbing it must be to have to go through stereotypes, all those kind of things. If you're bored of talking about it, just frankly, at this point, just you're you fuck off. <laughs> yeah. I think, I think five, 10 years ago, everyone was pretending it didn't exist. That racism wasn't a problem. Right. Maybe globally, you know, uh, I remember when Obama got elected as U.S. president, and I was like, "Yeah, this is incredible. This is That's like a, this is a watershed <laughs> <It's done>. moment." <laughs> I just yeah. felt like that was a watershed moment in the history of the world, and everything was going to move forward on such a in a progressive and positive way. And of course, you see the the kind of the backlash or the or the reaction. That's what makes me nervous about this. That's what makes me feel that the same about this. Is I'm like. 
this there is a rubber band in everything that we're doing right now and i worry about the backlash that comes the other way when people go well why don't you care about this why you know that's the positive thing isn't it in this push to acknowledge and listen and educate ourselves people are talking about a tangible impact you could be having even if you're not donating or, or or being active in terms of protesting have conversations with friends, have conversations with yourself, have conversations with family in order to discuss these issues in a way that is open and honest. It feels like something very small, but it's something very positive. And hopefully, if that's happening on a, on a large scale in, in societies around the country and communities around the world, that can have an impact where we hopefully don't have this this kind of rubber band reaction, but we do start to... to <laughs> Maybe naively uh, is is my hope. We move towards a more progressive and egalitarian society where we're actually confronting these issues in in a real way. Yeah, and and sort of beyond that, I guess um, for, uh, we well, yeah, there's a there's a lot to unpack from that. But the the American <laughs> um, the American society can at least uh, function. Because at the moment, function, this is part of it. We are trying to get back to functioning anyway. But mm. the, the worry is that in uh, in getting back to society, there's almost a perfect time for this to happen in that sense. I know that, you know, there's never a perfect time for George Floyd to pass away in such tragic circumstances, but it's a perfect time for, for the pressure to come out because we almost paused society for a little while and we went, right, there's almost a, a uh, in looking for a, a silver lining, a time to go, Right, as we rebuild and we start to get back out there, what is it that we will change about this? What is it that we will change 100%. about the world? That's a, a good thing. It does feel like everyone's been reflecting on themselves and you know, there's, a, there, there's an element of personal improvement, I think, from, uh, from lockdown. We're locked in for two months. How could I improve myself? Could I be baking more bread? Could I be learning new skills? Could I be reading more How books? many people went, could I be less racist? You, but how I many think that's why think it's become, were, yeah. I think people are now starting to go, okay, I need to expand beyond that, which I think is is very encouraging. It's not just about my personal improvement. How can I have a, a tangible impact on the world around me and my community around me? How can I improve the world in a more profound way? I think that's there are a lot of people hopefully who are very sure at the moment they're Botwood. Of course, of course. Um, but again, what feels different about this movement is it feels very widespread. It feels like it's sort of permeating. You know, ultimately, it's come from a very tragic event in America. Yeah. But that has has given people the the impetus, I think, to interrogate their own situations, not only in their own personal lives, but as I say, in their countries and in their societies. And we're seeing protests across Europe, across the world. And it seems like right now people are, are looking to engage with these issues in quite a profound way. Yeah. And, and also, I guess, uh, will I think football and sport, I'm always kind of looking for that side of it, I guess, in this to because a lot of people came for the football side, but people will be bored with not talking about football. <laughs> Sorry. Um, yeah. We, is that, that, you know, sport has an inevitability about it that you, there are certain, um, there are undeniable elements to the, the sport because a goal is like undeniable in that sense. Like, you know, or a really great, there's so much that is undeniable about sport. You can't deny that when the final whistle happens, then the game is over, all these kind of things. Um, bless you, Adam. Um, that's what I love about it is there is, there are, uh, it gives you a framework to, ex to, uh, uh, explore and interrogate, like you were saying, all of these issues that we're discussing right now. And that's, what's great about it. It gives you that really great framework to go, listen, a black guy scored a goal today. And in some racist people's minds who support whichever club it is that that black man secure, secure, uh, you know, secure promotion for or stopped his team getting relegated. There is some thought that is going through his mind that is going, why do I feel so conflicted by this? You know, why, why not me, but like, you know, why do, why does the racist person who's witnessed that interrogate their thoughts? Because they're being forced to by the fact that that person is building towards the same goal that they want. That like when you break it down, that is, there's a shared common goal which is to secure success and promotion or whatever. Um, and that I think is a real, uh, is a really powerful tool 
that we can harness there. It's the same as when, you know, when black players play for England or any of these things, uh, you know, people had to interrogate what was going on in their minds because suddenly John Barnes was being really good for England. <laughs> yeah, I think there's sport as in other forms of popular culture is a very potent vehicle, I think, for progressing society. And I hope that we're going to see something tangible um, when the football comes back. I mean, we haven't even spoke about the football coming back. We probably should finish on that because it has been confirmed, Chris, that what? The, Premier, the Project Restart is back. It is actually... Does it feel, just, just to be clear, does it feel appropriate to do it right now? Or do I, you know... Do, it feels a little bit weird to me to be like, right, right, it's over. Back to the football. It's a bit strange. It feels weird to me because I think, again, to just reflect on on what the impact of lockdown has been, you're, you're considering what's important in life and what really matters to you and and what you want to focus your time and energy on. For me, there is a sense that football is not that important. And given the kind of seismic events in the UK and the world <laughs> over the past yeah three, four or five months, um, 22 men kicking around a ball isn't that high on my priorities. But at the same time, I can't deny that to, to millions and, again, billions of people, it is important and there is a there is a positive impact that come, come from football. But as you say, it, it doesn't feel that important to, to necessarily talk about or think about in a in a basic way at the moment, shall we say? Yeah, 100%. And and <clears throat> to be fair, I think the coronavirus added a, a layer of that as well because it was people potentially risking their lives, whether it was the players or the support staff, coaches, etc. Um, that whole element was, was not something I think we should overlook as well, that the... the I think you could say the world is hurting a bit right now. It's It's... It's really, it's really being stretched at its edges, um, and the notion that TV contracts or, you know, the idea it would boost morale, I, I don't think they really wash. Um, and I think what is is a little bit frustrating to watch during that whole conversation is how political it has become in the sense that. Any player on, say, a bottom six team who said, I don't really want to go back and play, I don't feel comfortable, is seen as self-preserving their potential status in the league. Whereas any player in the top four saying the same thing is actually being this wonderfully um, generous human being that that is looking at the bigger picture. I think you, you you can't... really argue what someone's motivations for doing something are. And and I don't like the rhetoric that has trailed someone like Tyrone Mings, who has said he doesn't didn't feel that comfortable going back and people said, well, I have to go back to work. That to me is treating the symptom, not the issue. Um, and the issue to me, looking at it again from a, a great distance, is that the strategy around handling that situation has been so incredibly poor and so ambiguous and in some cases recently um, with trips to Barnard Castle just disregarded completely uh, with with the intention of, I think, weakening the overall message and making it so I would imagine the second the lockdown is lifted, you'll see people go out and taking that risk. And Well, we're taking our fucking trophy tour to Barnard Castle. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Wow. What a yeah, statement. We're going all what the way statement. there, though. Yeah, what a statement. I mean, it is mainly it's because all the Liverpool fans want to have a collective eye test. Oh wow. See if they can see the trophy from, from see, the Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It does. Oh, it turns out the Premier League trophy's bloody massive, mate. I can even read it from here. And, and the, the problem the problem with that is is as well, sorry, just to finish is when I, I someone I know actually, someone I used to play football with um back home basically said, like, I can't believe that we're focusing so much on this one guy going for a drive. The, the problem with that is, is it's symbolic of <laughs> weakening the country's greater defence and all the people that miss those key moments with, with loved ones that sadly aren't here. That starts to feel like it was for nothing if if people can just flout the rules without consequence. And, and that's... If an arrogant prick can go out and do that, then we can, you know, that that's just the basis and you and it can be forgiven 
so easily by a government who seems so quick to dismiss anyone with any legitimate issues, then exactly stay the fuck away from our footballers if you're going to defend your rich mates. Yeah, that's that's the thing that makes me feel uncomfortable, the way footballers were used as this sort of low-hanging fruit for the government to score points. I mean, we've spoken about it on on previous issues, Matt Hancock in particular, kind of pointing to, to footballers and how they needed to, to step up with their wages and make a difference. Um, and, and again, as you say, Chris, this rhetoric of football is going to lift the nation's spirits. That's why it needs to come back. The, the, the way that it's been or the way it's tried to be sold to the public is, is something I, I feel uncomfortable with. And as you said, the way that the, the leagues and the associations have gone about it doesn't seem to be particularly well managed. As you mentioned, Tyrone Mings saying essentially that the footballers were the last ones to be consulted about Project Restart, that, that of course everyone accepts it's 100% financially driven. The championship announced on Sunday that the league would be returning on June 8th which was apparently news to the clubs themselves. QPR said there was absolutely <laughs> no back. consultation. Wait, <laughs> yeah, the, 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 the QPR chief executive um, said he was stunned by the announcement and appalled and vehemently opposed <laughs> to a championship restart, claiming <laughs> the clubs learned about the news just before it came out at 9pm on Sunday. So again, it's kind of... You've got a week. Yeah, the the lack of consultation about? with the clubs and the players themselves apparently, I think, is something that that leaves a lot to be desired. And again, we spoke on a previous podcast about how well the Bundesliga had explained the safety procedures that were in place, about how they were dealing with the coronavirus crisis in a way that was re- responsible to the players and the staffs. Um, I still don't think we've seen that from the Premier League, albeit we are still two weeks away from the league restarting. But I don't feel massively encouraged by the current situation although um they did release the information that the zero players tested positive for coronavirus in the latest round of testing um so that is a positive but again it, it just feels like the the clarity and the the well thought out judgment and strategy isn't there at the moment to justify the safety yeah not the direct safety you know but like like we've been saying over the last few weeks the actual chance of a player uh, themselves having a very serious fallout from this is is low, but the chance of someone around them or the chance of the people that they love exactly. possibly having something happen to them is just as important. I guess the um, w- with the Premier League restart, the great thing is the free-to-air games that we'll see, is the BBC being able to air actual football for the first time in its history. I can't wait for them to try and make the the most of every Premier League moment between Burnley and whichever <laughs> other uh, inconsequential team it will be. Like, uh, you know, they do enough of that in the FA Cup, let alone when it comes down to, you know, the Premier League. So let's see. This is the thing. I, I, I feel uncomfortable in that situation. I'm kind of reticent to get too excited, but there is an appeal to this... I mean, is Coconut crazy the way they're uh, they're bringing back the Premier League? There's 92 <laughs> games, of course, left, but they're they're kind of pitching it as this kind of football bonanza. It's going to be like Boxing Day every day for four weeks or something. There's games on Fridays, Saturdays, it's like Sundays, that Mitchell Mondays, and Webb look thing. It's like yeah, yeah football everywhere all the time. Uh, Chris, are you allowing yourself to feel excited, or is there a pang of guilt, a, a bit of discomfort about the league coming back? How do you feel now? It's been announced. It's official. And we're getting this uh, this coconut crazy schedule uh, put in front of crazy, us. Um, the, you know what? The the only thing that makes me feel a bit uneasy is the resources it's going to take mm. in terms of testing and and stuff like that. Just because it feels as if, from what I have read and seen, that there's a bit of a low of that. So it, it's sort of priorities spring to mind. Um, in terms of the games, yeah, look, I'll enjoy watching football again. I've enjoyed the bits of the Bundesliga, so I'm not going to claim otherwise. I just also can't help but think this is going to be such a nasty situation for whoever goes down. We're, we're somewhat fortunate that really the league was decided before this happened. Um, Are we? No one was, was, was going to catch Liverpool realistically. Feels very fortunate so, to me, mate. <laughs> Whereas if it had been maybe three points or six points, you'd probably have had some kind of 
um, argument. I mean, to be fair, there are arguments even now about it being an asterisk title, which is just ridiculous. <laughs> but at the bottom of the table, things are, are very tight. And I think when people's reputations are on the line and when it comes to accepting responsibility, there will be people much happier to grab a hold of the fact that they were forced to go back and it was... So what was it like four games a day or five six games a day that kind of thing you've got no space mm. you've lost home away advantage that you may have been banking on at the time the idea that <clears throat> excuse me if you're playing in such a short space of time if you get on a bad run of form the momentum is so much more vicious than if you have a week to decompress um i think there'll just be so many excuses that it's it's going to be a pretty nasty one mm. yeah yeah, I'm wary of in two weeks there being a a, a, a spike in infections. This this so-called second wave, or <laughs> just the first wave, extending uh, beyond its uh, its apparent downturn. But I think that will be interesting to see if infections in the UK do start to trend upwards in the next two weeks, which is expected at the moment, given uh, the 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 loosening of lockdown measures in recent days just as the premier league's coming back i think that might put additional pressure on the premier league to to clarify the safety measures i mean they haven't even decided or, or organized yet where the games are going to take place some teams are against the neutral venues liverpool i think for one are, are demanding some games take place at their home venues, such as the most I, I do think so, it feels like it is a little bit stacked against liverpool possibly um but that you know there's a lot to figure out um Lots to discuss in upcoming podcasts. We'll leave it there for now. It's been it's been nice to just hear what you guys think. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, let us know what you think on Twitter at the front three. Do leave us your reviews on iTunes as well. Much appreciated as always. Until next week, we'll see you soon.